was lost, the treaty signed, I was not caught across the line, I was not caught, though many tried, I live among you, well disguised, I had to leave my life behind, I dug some graves you'll never find, the stories told with facts and lies. And now the end is near. Is it, oh, is it karaoke night already? I thought it was. Is it not? Jeez, I, 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 I really felt like we should have started with uh, some say love. <laughs> oh, my God. The end is nigh, Bo. The end is nigh. Uh, <sighs> yeah. We've broken down so many barriers just now. People have come in mid, mid-conversation, mid-song. You never come in mid-song. That's that's never a good thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, hi everyone. <laughs> this is a uh, this is Duncan uh, McLeish from the podcast Under the Stairs and Duncan and Bo come correct. Uh, introducing you to our finale Legion Quickie for True Detective season two. We're going to be discussing episode eight, which was called Omega Station. And joining me, of course, is my colleague from Duncan and Bo come correct, the incomparable Bo Ransdell. How you doing, sir? I am as buoyant as, say, a mare in a pool. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm doing really well. Uh, you know, it's a little bittersweet uh, yeah. for me because I, uh, I've, i you know, been emotionally all over the place uh, this season, <laughs> like, uh, you know, a boy going through puberty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, season two of True Detective was my puberty, uh, but... Uh, I will, I'm sure, repeat this sentiment at the end of the show, but it has been nothing but a pleasure to talk about these episodes with you, which we would have done, honestly, anyway. We're just doing it in a format where we're recording. Oh yeah, this this is the, this is the sort of thing that would have been um, Facebook messages backwards and forwards and, and conversations, probably in between our our actual show that we do so yeah this is i mean it was never going to be a situation where we weren't going to discuss this uh, this season because we adore the first season so you know what i mean is it would have been strange if neither one of us really wanted to discuss this and i think the podcast format that we've done is one that we were just testing out as an idea but certainly one that i I'm actually genuinely upset where next week we're not going to be talking about True Detective. Yeah, um, or or just kind of anything. I almost feel like yeah. we should just pick, like, you know, we're going to do from now on the McLaren News Hour. <laughs> and just every week we're, we're going to discuss it. But uh, I, I, in addition to thanking you, which I, I certainly do, I, you know, always appreciate your work, uh, not just with me, but abroad, uh, <laughs> I, I guess. Uh, but I also want to say a big, big thank you to all the people who have listened to these episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, I honestly have been surprised by the number of people who have listened to them and mm-hmm. uh, not in a, in a negative way at all. I mean, you know, we, we try to put together a good entertaining show and all. We're not, we're not just <laughs> screwing around here, Duncan. I mean, yeah. I don't know what you're doing. I'm not, uh, but <laughs> But yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for for joining us and and joining in on on the discussion uh, at times and 
uh, keeping us honest sometimes. And yeah, you know, it's it, it's been uh, a lot of not even a lot. It, it's just been fun cover to cover. Like I've enjoyed yeah. every part of doing this. So um, you know, as we've said before, we'll we'll come up with a reason to do it again. Oh, I, I still that, say the Flash yeah. is the way to go, but uh, whatever. <laughs> the Flash would just just be you saying how much you were enjoying the Flash and me just hating it every week. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, you guys! Did you see Gorilla Grodd? He's shiteful. Uh, <laughs> right. Shite, shite. That's that's <laughs> all I'd be saying all the way through. You'd be like, and did you see this bit? And this bit was amazing. I just like. Shite. Comic book shite. <laughs> you know, or just asking me over and over again Who's if I this call guy? my No, if I call myself an adult. <laughs> you know, let's just do Sesame Street next. Uh, so I mean, yeah, I think I think you're spot. I've really, really enjoyed this and I've enjoyed the fact that as evident by the, the, the Legion League stats for last month, a lot of you fuckers have been checking this show out and hopefully hopefully we have been guiding you now now we can see both with hands on hearts that both our our, our theories on who the killers were were wrong not uh, told on that i've still got i i still think there's subtext to work through oh <laughs> well I, I we can say one thing chad led to the death of his father chad murdered ray yeah chad did murder ray but we'll get we'll get We'll get into that uh, yeah it's, it's been it's been a ton of fun and we will be back to do something it's probably good to to say that if you have just been checking us out just doing these quickies and um, we do another show uh which is basically the film version of this duncan and bo come correct which um every show we pick a, a specific topic or genre within um the, the grand scheme of cinema and we suggest a movie to each other that the other one hasn't seen and then at the end we deliberate as to who had the better choice um, and our newest episode uh, dealing with war um just dropped so uh, you should check that one out that one was a whole hell of a lot of fun and we discussed two movies that at the end of it was actually not an easy choice from my point of view anyway it was not an easy decision to choose what the best one was and it's not often that we're landed in that position generally there's a not not maybe as clear a cut winner but the decision tends to be quite easy it's not like I'm not actually having to do what I did for that show, which was watch the movies one night and then the morning before recording, watch both of them again just to see if I agreed with my opinion the night before. So that one, ton of fun. Go and check it out. You can check it out on Legion Podcast Network where you're listening to this show. Um, however, Bo. Yes. Uh, with, I'm sorry. With the, what? With, <laughs> with much bittersweet sentiment, let's talk about Omega Station, which was written by Nick Pizzolatto and directed by John Crowley, who had done, I believe, one of the previous episodes. So he's he's a returning director. Uh, this one was slightly longer. Uh, it was just under an hour and a half. And um, the IMDb synopsis is short but sweet. Uh, unlike this podcast, um, Ray and Annie attempt to escape their desperate situations while Frank ties up some loose ends now i just want to kick off (laughs) that is as vague a synopsis as i think you could give in this scenario yeah yeah i think really just the vaguest of vagueness um i think what is worthwhile mentioning right at the start is this episode has been universally panned and i don't get why I, i genuinely genuinely don't get 
why I, I know maybe on some level why people are taking a dislike to it, but I don't know how you can say that it was poorly acted or poorly shot or that the story was too convoluted. And we'll, we'll touch on these points. I, I actually think if you strip this show down to its basic level and ba- basic plot points, there's nothing convoluted about this at all. And what maybe some people are tripping up over are the apparent smoking mirrors that have been used throughout the season to potentially lead you down the garden path in some incidents, uh, which are there because it's a mystery show. Um, and some things should always remain a mystery. That's just the way I look at things. Um, this show, like like I said right at the start, what I wanted from this show, I never expected it for one second to be as good as season one. I think we both said that, and yep. I think we were both right. It wasn't as good as season one. Um, and I'm kind of all right with that. I don't think many TV shows are ever really going to reach that benchmark. I think that's... That is a completely different... If you imagine the standard of TV shows being at a particular level, then True Detective is that unattainable one, which is so high, the benchmark is so high, that you can't really... It's unfair to compare anything to it. Um, It almost stands on its own two feet as a kind of standalone entity. Um, I I, I might argue Breaking Bad had a consistent level of quality that may not be quite as high as true detective yeah. season one but mm-hmm. not far off and yeah but it's slightly un, it's unfair to use a comparison on that because that's one show with the same characters right, i mean right, it's right, right. different when you're dealing with anthologies you're dealing with new stories each time and some stories will resonate better with other people um and some won't uh and and the, the reason that true detective season one landed so strongly with me is with very little cast um and very little story, if we're being honest. I was trying to explain this to someone today. The actual plot of season one of True Detective is incredibly simple. Um, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. It's, yeah, and I, I think when you strip all that back, what you're left is really the interactions of our two main characters over two time frames. And they struck gold with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, who are very close personal friends in real life, so the chemistry's there. Um, and Matthew McConaughey coming off some of his greatest performance, in fact, one that won him an Oscar about the same time, doesn't hurt. You know, where you've got an Oscar-winning actor who's really turned his performances around and went for some incredibly serious roles and nailed it. And arguably given one of the greatest characters in TV history to play. Sure, yeah. It's, you know, ugh, it's, Ruskell is a great character, yeah. It is. It really is. I can think of very few characters that I have resonated with so closely than Russ. And to put that expectation... Onto season two, I don't think is fair at all because it's it's a different beast. It's a different beast. The only thing that is carried over from that show to this one is it's the same screenwriter. So, and a lot of people seem to be complaining about the writing. I don't think the writing. I will get we'll get in there, but yeah. Anyway, so I think that one is unfair. It was unfair to 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 try and think that this would ever attain that. We didn't think that. Nope. We have used comparisons throughout our conversation to season one, but I think we've used them in such a way in that certain beats in the certain shows and certain episodes have matched. Like the end of episode four was the big sequence where we had that one shot. Uh, sorry, episode four of season one was a big long take shot and all the rest. The end of 
was basically like split the season in half. The end of episode four in True Detective season two was a gunfight, which splits the season in half. Um, you know, so I mean, there 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 are certain beats that have followed true throughout both seasons. Out with that, it's a completely different story, and we were hoping for a level of kind of esoteric occultism. Which was teased in this season. But if you read interviews with Nick Pizzolatto on the run up to this show, he categorically stated he was not doing anything occult in this show. Now, maybe we're looking too much into it by having a killer wearing a crow mask because when it's explained in this episode, there's nothing occult about it at all. So I think what we've done as an audience, as a collective audience group, has imparted what we liked about season one and expected season two to give us that weird, creepy, you know, occultish level of, of story and, you know, this great chemistry and camaraderie between two cops and all the rest. And this show hasn't necessarily delivered that on that level. And as a result of that, it's it's very difficult not to compare it to season one. It's very, it's very difficult, yeah. but I would say... Very much like when a show like American Horror Story is on, you really need to take each season as a standalone and judge it on those merits. And on True Detective's merits, season two by itself, actually I thought this was was I actually thought this show was pretty fucking good, and I was captivated. And this last episode crushed me emotionally i mean I, I sent you a message saying i felt drained at the end of this not only because of the information dump but i said to you in the previous episode that i reckoned that there was a good chunk of these characters would not survive at the end of it and i didn't want that to be true and it was and the way the two main characters we'll go to talk about later on died crushed me and there was one particular thing that happened to one character which was just like the final kick in the, in, in, in the balls i know what you're talking about i i before I'm, i i didn't actually care for that but i if i if it's yeah. we're talking about the same thing but we'll yeah. we'll get into that we're but, yeah get, yeah we're gonna get to that so basically let's talk about amiga station so this episode kicks off in the aftermath of um frank having robbed casinos and burned them to the ground and um, Paul being shot and murdered by um, the lieutenant of the Vinci Police Department. And we we kick into... Um, and there's so much stuff that happened in this, it's going to be difficult to remember everything verbatim. I've only watched the episode once. Most of them I watched twice, but I unfortunately I was out tonight, so didn't have the opportunity to I, watch I did watch this one twice. Right. So I am maybe... I will correct you as needed. Right. So basically, our first epi- our first like sequences kick off with with um, like I say, the aftermath of of Paul being shot. We have Annie and Ray who had sex the night before, and um, basically both characters start opening up to each other, and we start to learn a bit more about Annie in terms of the abduction that happened to her, um, and the weird fucked up things that have actually kind of shaped her life after that because she admits that even as a child being abducted there is a she had a weird sense of pride when this vagrant uh, who kidnapped her told her that she was pretty and when she thinks about how she felt in that point it makes her feel sick it's obviously shaped 
her into the damaged character she is and that we have seen in previous sequences um she likes sex a bit weird with her co-worker um and right at the start she was having sex with a fellow police officer and it was all quite weird even for him um she has this fascination with knives and how to basically take a man out anyone that might try and attack her and all these all these aspects kind of tie up and it was a really weird insight into exactly how damaged a character she is and then furthermore ray opening up about the fact that he gunned down we finally he finally admits it that he basically killed the we knew it was coming but this is the first time he's actually said it out loud he killed the guy that um frank originally put him on to but in such a way that he didn't do it face to face like a man he shot him in the back when he was turning around um and this is obviously this has obviously warped his life beyond that point so two very damaged characters basically on the precipice of oblivion and that neither one of them can go back to their jobs um, they're out in the limb the only link they had back to the police department in terms of the assistant da has been gunned down so they're really they're really their own country here uh, with no alliances or allegiances to anyone except for maybe ray and frank um, and then obviously the news comes back that paul is dead and the reason we know that is because um ray tries to phone paul and the the lieutenant picks up the phone it basically tries to make a deal with him again. I'll cut you in. There's still plenty of time to save yourself. Um, but Ray knows better than this. He can see through the bullshit. Um, and and yeah, so, so those two characters have decided at this point that their best lead is to track down who the masked killer was. And they've, they've found it difficult to track down Erica. I said, uh, I think I said Rebecca in the last episode. So I wasn't that far off it, uh, Erica. And they take a theory, which was one we discussed last week, which was online, that her brother may have been one of the guys in the film set. Turns out it was. Um, so they are going to head out to his house. Yeah, let um, me... Yeah, b- Before we go pa- much past the, the pillow talk scene... Um, I'm going to try to play devil's advocate a bit. Go for it. Uh, so I think this scene would have been so much better in the previous episode before they actually screw, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of them falling into bed and then once they're comfortable with one another or whatever, uh, then they can open up to, to each other. And also, you know, as we talked about last week there is this sense of, well, we could probably die soon. And, you know, yeah. maybe there there's a, a bit of, uh, you know, battle-hardened camaraderie that plays a part there. But I think I would have felt more satisfied with this, you know, burgeoning relationship, which plays a big part through this episode. Yeah, especially towards the end. It becomes... Yeah. It becomes... But once again... I th- I don't mind. I don't mind that because I think when both characters open up to each other, I think that's when they really start to realize they're both as damaged as each other. If you know what I mean, and I, they're both try, they're both aiming for the same thing. They both want redemption. They both want. They both want to see this through, and they both want redemption. And maybe they can do that together and they can't do it themselves they need each other to do it so i don't know how much of that is necessarily the blossoming of love or it's the the need 
to have that other person to see the mission through to the end. Yeah, but even after the the mission is over, in theory, there's still a very a, a very real indication that Ray is trying to get back to uh, Annie. But before we get there, I, I let me just picture this in your mind. Let me let me give you a a, a theater of the mind scenario. Mm-hmm. So we're in not this episode, but the last episode. And at the moment where Annie uh, tells Ray that he's a good guy, after he says, you know, I'm not, I'm not a good man. Um, and she tells him, you know, I think you're a good guy. Uh, what if that's when we get this confession, which then spurs the confession from her. So when they fall into bed together, it is immediately, hey, we are these two damaged individuals. Like, that would have felt more justified to me. Um, Possibly, yeah, but I know I, I can see that, and and I'm not saying that yeah. it, it it totally didn't work in this episode. I don't think it was a, a complete failure. Um, although I do think there is a scene in this episode that is a, a, a real failure. But um, <laughs> I think I, I just felt like it. We're just throwing it all at the end of the season, yeah, as opposed to building a framework letting them because initially they're they're sort of at odds early in the season and if we had seen that develop a bit more to, to if there had been this recognition in each other of the pain that they feel which yeah. we do get in these later episodes or in the last two episodes um rather suddenly in the last one much more so in this one i if we had just given that a little bit more room to breathe i it it would have felt more meaningful to me yeah, and it comes back to what I was saying at the start. There are certain pacing issues that plague this, this show as a whole. Um, I, I mean, there were sequences earlier on, i.e. Ray saving Annie from the lorry, which was going to sure. knock her over from the truck. And then, you know, he saved her even though he was wounded and her giving him the information that, listen, the police are looking into you. Um, and these sort of things that show on some level she does care about him. Um, now, whether or not that care is the the care of their their partners, basically, and that that kind of the police partnership of being partners with someone is almost like extended family. Um, could you could argue that point? Yeah, they probably could have fleshed it out a bit, a bit or, more. Yeah, just laid some groundwork is all. Just yeah. give me a reason. And, so when they when they end up screwing, I'm like, well, not not a will they won't they like we were teasing about last yeah. week, but. But at least something for me to say, like, oh yeah, just something to hang my hat on. That's what I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I understand. I understand. Like I say, it doesn't necessarily annoy me though. Um, I, I kind of, I quite like the fact that we finally got, we finally got Ray's confession to someone, and we sure. finally, we finally got a better understanding. I mean, we already kind of pieced together the knife thing and the abduction and all the rest. But when you hear Annie describe how how sickened she feels by how she felt then, it actually makes quite a bit of sense for the character and the way that she has treated, or or our evidence of how she's treated men in the past. So, I quite like that, and we kind of shelve those stories. Those stories get put to the side now, and um, we're back to, we must find out who the killer is. And what, I mean, what a lot of the criticisms I've been reading online is the fact that, and I was guilty of it myself, I think by episode five, I was like, listen, what about two or three episodes now with no crowhead what the fuck is going on with that and the more i've been thinking especially today the episode's been running a lot in my mind and i've come to the conclusion that this is a modern day 
crime noir story. And if you read noir crime stories, you will find that your detective usually gets put on a case which opens up into something greater or go, or goes somewhere else, leads them to a different investigation to something else. And towards the end, you find out that the original case that we're on is linked. And that's yeah, and, and very th- personal. There, yeah, there's yeah, something and, personal, yeah. Yeah, and th- that's exactly what this show has done. Our killer at the start that sets things off, it's it's all related. And when we when we get further into this, I'm going to break down the the specific storylines that are going through this, and I'm going to try to explain how I think the majority of them, the vast majority of them, were actually wrapped up to a level which is beyond satisfactory in this episode. So they they head off to to, to find the the crowhead, and um, we jump to Frank, and Frank is trying to get rid of Jordan. He's he's, ba- he's basically at his wit's end try to get rid of Jordan because like we saw in the previous episode Jordan doesn't want to go she wants to stick with him to the bitter end right to the very end and um we Frank tries some tough love by basically telling her that you know she was only a bit of fun and all the rest and yeah that's, hit the you know, bricks kid yeah takes his ring off throws it out the the door and then I love his expression as she takes her rather more expensive ring off and throws it out the door and he's like there's a big fucking rock on that what are you doing and um, he I mean as an audience member this to me signified that Frank was dying in this episode Um, because he sends her away and they have a conversation about a particular park where they would meet um, in two weeks or less, he keeps stressing that, uh, two weeks or less in Venezuela. And um, she would wear a white dress and he would wear a white suit with a red a red flower in it. And um, the two of them would meet across this crowded area and this is how they would be reunited. And it was this kind of, heart, kind of heart-wrenching sort of fantasy about... On some level, it kind of reminded me of the end of uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Was it The Dark Knight? That was the final one, wasn't it? The Dark Knight yeah. Rises. Yeah, and yeah. that idea of Alfred saying that, you know, he always dreamed that, you know, he would be somewhere in Paris and he would look over and see Bruce Wayne there and they would look at each other and nod, but that would be it. And it kind of reminded me of that and that is this idea of of how they both picture the perfect end to this story kind of happening, but on some level they both know it's not going to happen. Um, and Frank entrusts his sidekick Nails, and we finally find out why Nails is called Nails. And I thought Nail was called Nails because he uses a nail gun to, to torture people, and that's not why he's called Nails. He's called Nails because Frank rescued him, um, and he had a nail through his head, and that's what the scar on his forehead is. Uh, and Nails is the most loyal of all his men, uh, yeah. more loyal than Blake. And Nails basically says that he will look after her. Um, it won't let her get out of his sight until they see each other again. And and now Frank's kind of free to 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 do Operation Kill a lot of fucking Russians. All right, um, all right. Well, again, I not yep. to interrupt you in every scene. I no, no, no. I think no. I think that's. I think this is the best way to go through this. Is basically, I will finish the scene and then we discuss what's happening about it. Yeah. So to me, this scene was the big failure of the episode. Um, oh, no, I know this was be, this. Oh. All right. So last last episode, 
I said the words, I wish this was the Jordan we'd had all season. Yes. And I felt like the Jordan that we got in this episode is the Jordan I want. I just don't want this scene of them talking about the white dress and the white suit and stuff. I just, I felt like it was cliche on a level that True Detective is better than. Um, to a certain extent, Frank is a cliche character. Absolutely, absolutely, he is. He's, he's, and maybe he's an yeah. obstacle that runs a casino. I mean, you don't get much more. I, I see. I like those aspects about it because I thought. I know it's I know it's stereotyped and I know it's cliche and things like that, but to me, Frank Frank as a character has been so interesting because he is he is the criminal of the show. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah and he's, he's amazing. One, yeah, yeah, he's the one that's he's the one that's trustworthy as you know his word is his bond and all the rest and all the legitimate people in here the chief of police the mayor all these people that are sub- are paid by the public to be pillars of the community and stuff they're the corrupt ones and i quite like this idea of like i say i don't think either one of them thought they were going to see each other again um and it plays the particular white suit thing plays into a sequence later on in the show which fucking floored me. I mean, I, as as, I don't. We spoke about this before, and it's been the it's been the the the, the punchline to many a joke. But I don't get mo- emotionally invested in much uh, in the way of movie or TV. I just don't. I I tend to find that I have a very rational, logical head when it comes to to anything. It's just a movie, but. The way things go down at the end of the show, specifically with Frank, kind of crippled me. I, I mean, I'd, I and that particular sequence where it plays back into this conversation was just—I thought it was—I thought it was incredible. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm of the same mind. That, yeah. yeah, I don't think it has that impact if you don't have that conversation of them basically going through the cliche thing. I, but the, the the two of them watch old black and white movies we've seen them watch old black and white movies they, they are kind of sentimental they, they talked at one point about settling down and buying a ranch so it doesn't feel that much of a stretch for me for these characters to almost play out the cliched scene of you know he's looking at you kid or something like that you know it, it doesn't that to me fits completely in keeping with what the characters have shown me before and yeah jordan may have been a bit late to the party to get to that point but her strength as a character at the end to leave him even though she knows she's never going to see him again, I think's, I think it, it is the Jordan that I've wanted to see in this show, and I I thought that that scene worked for me. Is it the most original scene in the world? No. Is True Detective the most original TV show in the world? No. Um, there's a lot of things being pulled from a lot of different places. It never bothered me. I I didn't I didn't think it was a failure. Um, if anything, it's a bit cliche, but it's it's dealing with a man and a woman, and they're. He's a gangster and she's a girl and, you know... And this just... rough and tumble world. Is, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you what. There was something very old-fashioned about it and I didn't dislike that. I, I, I will completely change my view on this. If there is any part of this scene by nature of feeding into the, you know, the final scene with Frank that yeah. brought a tear to your eye, 
It is now my favorite scene in any filmic form. It didn't bring a tear to my eye, but I did feel like... I did feel... (laughs) Just stop there. I did feel. That's all I did here. Yeah, it's you know you know that way when you're on a roller coaster and you get to the certain point where at the top one of the parts and that rushing feeling as it it plummets down, um, you know a, a weird angle or whatever, and your stomach's still up there and it takes a bit of time to to catch up with the rest of your body. That's kind of how I felt. I kind of felt like like all the air had been let out of me, um, and I just I I don't usually feel that way, and it was in part because of i think what is set up and and i'm not gonna I've, both this scene is cliche as fuck i cannot defend it didn't annoy me didn't annoy me at all yeah like I, I say, at the end there's a there's a poignancy to what they say that when what happens at the end with frank's character really it's it's the it's the it's the stinger it's the it's the the metaphorical punch in the face um yeah. which just makes you go oh, oh my god god um but in a good way (laughs) yeah i feel like the the first couple of scenes of this episode particularly the stuff with annie and ray and and their pillow talk and then going pretty much from that to frank and jordan and having a, a similar scene in that they're opening up to each other even as frank is trying to disguise you know his motivations and all that stuff but yeah i mean i felt like those two scenes back-to-back as they were, um, Mm -hmm. brought me down a little bit. Because I felt like they were more so the Frank and Jordan scene than Ray and Annie, but I I felt like this scene was a little clunky. Um, I'm not not knee-jerk against the idea of having this sort of stereotypical gangster and mall kind of relationship. Yeah. I just wish it it were handled with a defter hand. Um, But I will say... That's the the nadir of this episode for me. That was the point where, as I was watching the finale for the first time, I thought, "Ooh, maybe this isn't gonna be very good." And right. the, and and then the episode starts to give me what I'm there. For. Yeah, I mean, that is, there's one thing about this episode that is it really, it really drags you from that point, from the very kind of somber opening. It grabs you by the scruff of the neck and it pulls you through quite a lot of story um, for your 90 minutes. There's plenty, there's plenty of bang for your buck here. Um, so uh, we have uh, we have Ray and we have Annie and we have them at the house of the guy that works on the film set that they believe to be the, the son of the jewellers that were murdered. And they arrive at the house and they look in through a back window and they see the crow head, and they see the weird mask that we saw the person wearing that burned the car. Um, so they break into the house, and they find Erica, or should we call her Laura, um, handcuffed to the fireplace. And she she gives us this story. She clears up this issue um, of how they were separated, um, they both went into care, she came out of that and ended up doing... She ended up turning tricks. And through this turning tricks, she came across Casper. Um, she was introduced to Casper because one of the other girls had mentioned the Blue Diamonds, and she obviously remembered them from being a kid. Um, she'd already met her brother previous to that, and when she told her brother, her brother hatches this plan. Now, 
there's been some complaints. Once again, I'm, I'm going to highlight some of the people that have complained, well, some of the complaints about the show, and that some people felt that this killer was a vigilante killer who was trying to expose corruption within the police department and Catalyst and all the rest. And to me, think, that, yeah. Yeah, to me, that's a convoluted story. I think this is far more easier. That basically this is a revenge killing. Casper is the one that has the diamonds. The diamonds used to belong to those. The the kid has basically worked out that it was the police that did it and Casper had the diamonds. So she basically explains that he got carried away when he was torturing him. And Casper uh, was the only one they knew of at the time. He gave up the police officers. He killed him. And the reason they put the body out there was not so the police could find it. And I remember there was like I remember like that opening sequence where you see where he's uh, where Casper's sitting. Um there is a connection to Catalyst there as well. I'm not sure there's a sign that says Catalyst or something that a lot of people had speculated that this was the signal that he was related to Catalyst and all the rest. No, he put it there because he got a kick out of it. He he got a kick out of basically putting him out in the middle of nowhere, sitting on a park bench. And once again, as you know, what's more convoluted? Is it more convoluted to think that this is a vigilante killer trying to highlight corruption and this big rail contract and how everything's connected, or that it's a guy getting vengeance for his dead parents? I'm going to go with guy getting vengeance with his dead parents. I would agree. I know I, it never occurred to me that, I, you know, the story that's being told about this brother was anything more than... He was really damaged when, you know, he was in foster care. He he mm -hmm. came out of this kind of twisted. And now, you know, once he, you know, once the sister did the thing where she was working at the uh, the mansion with all the girls and yeah. she encountered Casper there and put two and two together with Casper and then, you know, got a job with him with mm -hmm. a different look and her hair's dyed and all that stuff. And then the brother like you said, you know, go, goes a little too far when they're trying to get to the bottom of things. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything too, uh, too much that, that you have to untangle from that. Yeah. That all and seems pretty that, straightforward. Yeah. Fr from that point, I understand why that story's been put on the back burner and we've not seen the crow head for the last couple of episodes. Didn't need to be there. Didn't. So, so from that point of view, that issue that I had of why are we not getting back onto the, the Casper killing, because the Casper killing is related, yes, but it's a very small jigsaw piece of a large puzzle. So that didn't bother me. So she basically tells him that he is going to kill the police officers. And the reason is the way he's going to do that is he has promised them the hard drive, which we find out has been wiped because it was password protected. There was an encryption on it. So they're never going to get, we're never going to know what was on it. We can take a guess what was on it, but we're never going to know what was on it. Um, and he's taken it to this new-built train station, a, a mega station, um, and which is the name of the episode. And he's going to do a trade-off there, but he's basically on a suicide mission. He's going to take down the cops there. Um, so Ray tells Annie to stay with her, basically depose her, um, get as much information as possible so they can take her into the cops later on and they have evidence etc and he goes off to the station which is Any, the best you, scene of the episode I think and, um, it's, it's good it's really good I come in slightly different way on another scene but I did, re I did really really like it um, but 
Anything else you want to say about that before we jump on to talk about Frank's um, Frank's collection of guns, which was uh, which we put Arnie to shame from Commando. Yeah. Oh, they. All right. Uh, no, I. On that level, uh, you know, I think that scene is a big info dump. Much like most of my complaints about this episode, I wish there had been a more delicate hand. I wish we'd gotten bits of this earlier in the season. So that when we reveal the brother, it's not just, oh, yeah, that photographer or whatever from Yeah, that guy that scene. we saw for, for, for less than one scene. And once again, I mean, people are may- maybe people are are thinking on some level that, it, you know, well, in season one, they played, well, they didn't really. In season one, Rust asks a gardener a question. The gardener replies, and then we don't see him until the final episode. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, once again, I think, I think maybe, I think maybe some people are forgetting that True Detective season one had, and arguably it was handled better. I mean, it, it was it was handled much better because the clues were constantly there throughout the show in terms of the drawing, um, you know, the, the way that the man was described with the spaghetti face and all that. It makes sense at the end. But and this one, like I say, this is a small aspect of the story. It is a massive info dump. Um, basically, his conversation with Erica, or their conversation with Erica, clears up that entire part of the story. So the Casper killing is now solved. Yep. Um, and that's done within the first twenty minutes of the episode. So we now know everything about that. We know that basically that killing is all to do with. For those that maybe, maybe I'm not articulating enough. Basically, a group of cops during the LA riots broke into a jeweler's and stole these blue diamonds, killed the two owners. The two kids were left for several days, trapped in a, a in basically a cupboard um, with their parents lying dead on the other side. They were separated, put into foster care. One became Erica, the other one became this guy from the movie set. The guy from the movie set is the one that has worn the masks um, and he's the one that killed Casper. And he did it so he could get names of the people that killed his parents because he's getting vengeance. Yep. Mystery solved, show over. We're done, Duncan. This has been great. That's that is that aspect of the story. However, like we said, uh, this is a this is a crime noir story. So that is the small aspect that got us into the story. Now we have the bigger puzzle. And the bigger puzzle is not even really a puzzle, to be honest with you. It's Frank getting vengeance. On on basically uh, Osip, uh, who is the, the the Russian guy who basically is taking everything from him and is trying yeah. to buy into Catalyst, um, and Ray, very much aware that his superiors have been behind a lot of what has happened in this show uh, in terms of his superiors actually set up the gun battle. In episode four, I I don't know if you got the same as me. They set that up as a way to get rid of Dix, Dixon. Yeah, that was originally the the plan, um, and also, hey, this is also going to close the case. Yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Dixon, um, who we didn't really think much of at all, other than he seemed to be a bit creepy taking photos of Paul. Um, it turns out that Dixon was very much aware of the entire thing and was kind of. Not blackmailing them, but he was uh, a glitch in in the Matrix. Exactly. Yeah, the the fact that he knew all this stuff put him in a 
uh, a bit of a power position so he can do things like be drunk most of the time and not give a yeah, shit. Exactly. And no one can say anything because he can say, well, I know what you did. <laughs> right, right. He's, he's like you said, he, he is uh, the glitch in the Matrix, the thing that they have to fix, um, especially with this investigation going on and, and Dick's being so close to it. Mm. There's always that chance that he could turn coat. And, it, it and makes Paul sense. said, didn't Paul say earlier on in one of the sequences that it looked like a profession, it looked like a sniper shot in Dixon's head? I'm sure yeah. he says something about he he analyzes that and it, it's he said it felt like an he felt like that death was an assassination and that's what it was. It got rid of him. It was to close the case. There would be no more about it. Ray was supposed to be quiet and continue working at Vinci PD, um, and the the rest of them were supposed to go off and do what they were supposed to do so the fact that you know the investigations kind of opened back up and it's went the way it has um was not originally the plan but his superiors race superiors specifically um are are basically race concern ray wants to close that down basically he wants the he wants justice for that and um so he goes off to omega station and then we jump back to Frank, and Frank's doing all. Frank's gearing up, so Frank has a. Frank is away speaking to the the Russians, uh, sorry the Turks, um, handing over some cash, getting his new fake passport, getting bags of guns, um, which he is going to use to to take out the Russian. And uh, I love this. I love the phone call that he has uh, where. Uh, Osset phones him and uh, basically says to him, you know, um, you're being childish. <laughs> well, you're such a, like a, you know, I'm not angry with you, Frank. I'm just disappointed. Right. Um, yeah. You know, you burned down the casinos. That's a childish thing to do. And um, are you still in LA and all the rest? And I love that Frank, you know, is like that. You know, just let you know, I'm going to kill you. And it might not be today, but. It's going to be at some point, and uh, you, I love that idea of what was he says uh, when the darkness. Yeah, that that when, that bullet that comes for you that you yeah. don't see, that's mine. Yeah, that's mine. Um, and I love that. I love that he just hangs up the phone, and that's him him done with that. And uh, he has what can only be described as a, a ridiculous arsenal of weapons. Um, which you know was like intimidating, like all these bags of weapons, and so he's gearing up, and we have Ray heading to Omega Station. Ray arrives at the station, uh, dressed like a cowboy, uh, <laughs> for some reason. Uh, I need to go inconspicuous. Let me go to the train station where everyone is dressed normal, and I will wear a ten-gallon hat. Yeah, and it looked awesome on him. I did. It did actually. I'm. St I. I am now more convinced that I want to see, uh, like a remake of The Unforgiven or something with Colin Farrell in it. I really want to see that movie. Um. So yeah, or a western, a western of any sort where Colin Farrell's the sheriff. Um. Or yeah. the outlaw. Or, either either or. way, yeah. And yeah. as long as he has a mustache and a hat, I'm fine. Agreed. Agreed. So he arrives here. He quickly clocks um our killer. Uh, shifts up behind him and basically convinces him to let him run the trade with the detective. So um, the coloured detective from the previous episode, who I thought had been killed, but it turns out he'd only been severely pistol whipped 
shows up and he makes his way up the escalators. We clock the, the other lieutenant, the guy that killed Paul, and he sits down to have a conversation with with Ray. And behind them uh, is is the killer who is holding a recording software that Ray's given him, basically his phone, dictograph to telephone the conversation um, or, or, you know, record it down. And uh, once again... Ray tries to to play into this idea of listen, I don't care about them, and they never trusted me, and uh, you know I just want back in, and I want the heat off me, and I want this, and I want that, and everything was going well until uh, the coloured cop said something about the killer's sister running tricks, and he comes out with a knife, and oh my god. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, well, but particularly, I think we, I think we used that word previously. How we like people that are a bit stabby. In that case, it was women who were stabby, but we'll make allowance here. Uh, it, you know, this is the most Chinatown that I think True Detective gets is this Agreed. moment because it is the Chinatown ending, which is here's this vast conspiracy that has to do. In Chinatown's case, it was a big water uh, conspiracy. In mm-hmm. the case of uh, True Detective, it's railways. But at the end of the day, it comes down to one of the key players not being able to keep his dick out of the wrong place. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Chinatown, spoilers, uh, <laughs> it is his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, in True Detective, it's this revelation that Casper is, in fact, the father yeah and uh that's right yeah yeah yeah. sorry that's you know the fact that he says that basically casper that was why casper was in so much um which was mentioned by erica earlier on that you know she remembers casper from when she was a kid um and yeah that's that's what spurs him on and he he um loses his shit i think is the technical term for what happens with his head brain yeah he gets a, a couple of stabs in and um the other the other lieutenant guy arrives, he shoots, and uh, he catches the killer. Uh, Ray stumbles and fumbles around for his gun. Unfortunately, in the panic, his, his recording device is broken. Someone stands on it. So that conversation now no longer exists. He fumbles for his gun, managed to shoot the lieutenant in the arm, um, and then a lot more security guards arrive. Uh, and I love this aspect of the security guards not only shoot the killer but they also shoot the colored cop as well they're just like anything that moves fucking shit uh, a bit gun happy um i don't know if that's a indication on current situations in america either as well uh, it's a black man so we must shoot him um, <laughs> i didn't i didn't put that together but i'm just saying it just seemed a bit weird let's yeah. let's help this innocent white man with the knife uh let's shoot the the the, the menacing black man on his back getting Stabbed. Uh, I don't Heads know. But he, got yep. sh- he got shot anyway. Uh, Ray makes an escape. And I, I just realised when we were talking that I forgot a sequence which was glorious with Frank. So we need to discuss that. Because Frank oh, decides... They, going to, to Mayor Chisani. Yeah, yeah, he decides that he's going to go and visit Chisani. And he's going to have a word with young Chisani and a word with old Chisani. And he arrives and the place looks like a bomb's hit. Uh, there's a, it looks like the, the aftermath of a pretty serious uh, party, or as we like to call it in uh, Scotland, uh, that the guy's been on a bit of a bender. Um, I don't know if that word is the same in America. Yeah, no, we... bender is universal, sir. It cool. is what <laughs> I am going on immediately after this recording. 
is what I felt like going on after this episode. Um, <laughs> so the only thing that console me now is my sweet, sweet, sweet friend whiskey. <sighs> oh, oh, God bless it. Yeah, just cuddling into it, you know, spooning it almost. Um, but yeah, so you gotta uh, do the ray where it's it's whiskey, it's uh probably some stomped on blow, yeah, uh, some pills, and some v- vehement exercise and some remodeling of the house. Yes, uh, yes, and <laughs> that order exactly. Um, so uh, yeah, Frank arrives at the mayor's house. Uh, it's a bit busted up there's a lot of drug paraphernalia and alcohol lying around and as he's walking past the pool he sees the mayor they down dead in the pool and for me straight away it looks like foul play i mean uh but apparently his uh <clears throat> mail order bride is a bit dense that way uh frank confronts her as he's looking for tony she basically Tells him that she doesn't know where Tony is. She finds her husband face down in the pool, thinks that he has committed suicide, and Ray basically, uh, Frank, sorry, basically tells her, you know, no, that's that's young Chisani's done that, um, and he's probably done it so he can blame it on you, and you're probably going to take the fall for this because you did it for the money. And uh, Frank, I love Frank. Just like once he's imparted that wisdom, he's like, "I'm gonna get the fuck out of here." Yeah. So he just turns around and walks off. Um, one thing kind of annoyed me about this sequence. One thing actually kind of annoyed me about this last episode, and that the sister, the Chizani sister, she just vanished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, once she, I, what was her contribution? She gave some tip about. Uh... She she told um about how her father put her mother in the mental institute. Right, right. That's probably what killed her. That that plastic surgeon who we never see again. So I'm going to assume that. No, Ray we saw him in this episode. The plastic surgeon. Yeah. When did we see the plastic surgeon? Uh, we go to uh, uh his office and he's in the chair with his wrist slit. That's right. Sorry, sorry. I'd, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, another presumed suicide in quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah another. Yeah, basically, someone's cleaning up house. Um, and I will, I will put forward my theory on this, and I think I'm right. Tony Chisani's cleaning up. House. Oh, it's got to be right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, G- yeah given the it, end of the episode, I think it's got to be Tony, who's like, we gotta, we gotta get, shore this shit up right yeah. now. Yeah. Get rid of the old school. You know, get rid of the, the, the older generation, make way for the, the, the young blood. So, yeah, so he's dead. Um, So, yeah, so Frank leaves that point. So I, I felt like we needed to go back and touch on that because I think that is... Not only did you re- reference that at the start of the episode, and people might wonder why you referenced that, but two, <laughs> um, I, I, I quite like the fact that in the previous episode, Frank kind of told... Mayor Chisani, listen, your son's doing all this right under your nose and you don't even know. You know, you're you're being run out of here and you're just drinking yourself away and all the rest. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you being in this condition has allowed your son to do this. Um, so I, I felt that that was quite interesting that it looks like possibly his father has confronted him after that conversation and the result of that was his son killed him. So, and then decided, right, it's time to clean up everyone who is kind of affiliated with my father and the next person on that list is the doctor <clears throat> so he gets his his wrist slit um so yeah so we'll, we've put that that thing to bed um so uh frank is driving on the road ray calls him 
Uh, Frank basically says, Ray, you're the very man. I was just thinking about you. You're the very man I need to speak to. Um, we need to meet. And uh, the location to meet is our friend, the old bar, which uh, which we hadn't seen in a couple of episodes, Bo. We had not. Uh, it is still playing uh, dreary music uh, that may make you suicidal. Uh, yeah, she's 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 not got she's not got the cheeriest of tones. Um, it's all this. It reminds me a lot. Speaking of uh, Twin Peaks, which we weren't. Um, yeah. It reminds me a lot of I can't think of the singer's name now, uh, the, but the woman who did a lot of the vocalization for. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I know what you're on about. Yeah, for <laughs> what I'm on about. <laughs> Look, I'm not your child, McLeish. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but I think uh, um, yeah, that musical, the music was was totally appropriate. But more importantly, we get the the significance of the bar, and, and you know why. Frank and Ray meet there and, and their relationship to the bar and stuff. Yeah. And we find out it has a spooky secret passage, <laughs> which is how you have to say spooky is, secret passage. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense, really, because they've been... I wondered why, when we find out that Frank basically owns that bar, you've got to realise that there's some sort of criminal activity being run through. In the case of this one, it's, it's basically illegal immigration. Um, that's, yeah, kind that's of a... Used- Underground Railroad sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what I was going to say is, it's funny you mentioned Twin Peaks, uh, Bo, because um, the when we were at Chisani's mansion, we saw a lot of invites. These these black menu invites to the, the sordid parties. And the image on the front of that is Twin Peaks. <laughs> really? I did not notice that. It's, it's, not, it's, it's like a slight modification. It looks like two mountains in front of each other. And that's Twin Peaks. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's fair to say that the the Lynchian uh, connection to this is quite strong. And I love that. If you're going to say anything in LA, you need to acknowledge Lynch. That's, there's any, any, any kind of mystery or kind of dark storytelling which involves LA, you need to, you need to nod to Lynch. And if you don't, then I don't like you. <laughs> you, you're you're down a peg in the McLeish scale. You are, because like, I, I love that idea of like we said in the previous episode, um, Bob, uh, the the Bob like guy appearing at that exact angle, which made Bob so creepy in Twin Peaks. And we've had other things as well. There's been bits of Mulholland Drive, Blue Velvet, you know, all all the way through these episodes. But that I finally getting a chance to see that menu close up. I was like, that symbol reminds me of Twin Peaks, and I checked out the Twin Peaks logo today. Very, very similar. Very, 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 very similar. And I got to think that that must be, must be a, a direct nod. It's too, too similar not to be. Yeah. Um, and I'm cool with that. I love that. That sort of Easter egg stuff is fine in my book. Completely fine. So, um, yeah. So getting back on with our, uh, our story, um, Annie does not take Ray's advice. Uh, she helped to hey at the the train station, and the reason she managed to get there is because she sends Erica away, which was a bit of a silly move, Annie, because she's your witness. Yep. And the other one's dead now, and her recording. Guess what? That's busted. Yeah, uh, and I guess I mean it. It seems character appropriate though. Yeah. Because Annie's big arc in this season is both acknowledging 
her past and being able to somehow move past it. Mm. And, and so that's what she's giving this character is, you know, she's saying like, look, I'm giving you the chance to, I, I think the way she phrases it, phrases it is I, I'm going to give you the opportunity to put this down. Yeah. And, and you don't have to carry this anymore. Your brother was a wreck a long time ago. There's mm. nothing you're going to do. That's going to fix him, you know, just get the hell out of here. And it, and it kind of, terminates with the sister saying well what am i gonna do and he's like well i don't know i mean do live a life i guess just get 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 the hell out of here uh and then yes then annie slash the cavalry appears at omega station just to save ray just in time so the the two of them head off they end up at the bar um, Ray is getting the glass picked out of his face and we get a conversation between Annie and Frank where Frank recognises her and there was a great there was a great bit there as well he's like that's your you're the woman cop um, and she said or the lady cop and she says oh, you, did you want that because of my tits and he's like no because of your manners which I liked right. <laughs> yeah. I, I really because that shut her down quick like really, really quick because that's how she sees herself being objectified, and Frank's not that sort of guy. Um, so I like that aspect. Um, Frank and Ray have a discussion, and basically the plan is hatched of what they're going to do, and the, the, we're we're going to spell out this this big plan. Now, so basically, the plan is that they're going to hit the Russians before the drop off of the twelve million to Catalyst. Or during the twelve million to the catalyst, they're gonna they're gonna hit this this drop off point. They're gonna steal the money. Um, Ray and Annie are gonna be smuggled using the scarred woman's connections onto a boat to take them to Venezuela. Frank is gonna basically the reason he was speaking to the diamond guys. He's gonna get rid of a lot of his money into diamonds, so it's easily easy to. Uh, basically carry with him abroad it's easier to carry diamonds than it is to carry five million in, in dollars um, so he's going to do that and they're all going to meet up at Venezuela and live happily ever after um, and that seems like a great plan on paper um, but once again that sinking feeling starts to kind of kick in with me and uh, we then get Frank and Ray going to do a hit on the cabin. Yeah. And this... Which, oh, which I lo- This was my favourite scene. So, I love this because... I don't know. It, it seemed out of character for Frank to become all of a sudden this, this sort of combat warrior. But at the same time, I've seen Frank trodden upon so much in this show that getting him to see him get a bit of vengeance sat quite well with me. Yeah. And it's, and, uh, it's, it's a good idea. Vengeance. You know, like the whole idea is that they're, they're going to surround this cabin out in the middle of nowhere. They're going to pump the place full of a bunch of uh, smoke grenades mm-hmm. and, or maybe tear gas, whatever it happens to be. And then just shoot these people from, you know, uh, from their place in the woods yeah. as these, uh, you know, their targets come pouring out of the cabin. Yeah. Which, in fairness, goes off without a hitch. It, it works perfectly. And... As soon as this worked perfectly, I knew that neither one of these characters would survive the end of this show. Because this is the bit that shouldn't go perfectly. Yeah. This is the the bit in the story that should fuck up, and the redemption is that they survive at the end. And the fact that this went off without a hitch, 
pretty much in my mind sealed both characters doom because you're right it goes off perfectly the gas goes into the house the people start pouring out ray and frank take them all out ossip's in there frank gets to crack his line about well i guess i was wrong maybe it is today and he kills (laughs) kills him after after he says to him frank i always looked upon you as a son that's why I bought at your casinos, marginalised you, told you I would give you, you know, did this all behind your back, converted your right-hand man, eh, or stealing the catalyst deal from you. I've always looked upon you as a son, the son I wish to wrong. Um, and Frank puts him down, well, not just one bullet, Bo. There's no. a couple of rage rage bullets that come out afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and I do like that moment where he, he empties more of the clip into... Uh into Osrip, uh, more than he needs. Just, yeah, it is that culmination of like, you know, for the past seven episodes, uh, Frank (laughs) says, uh, you have been hounding me, even though I didn't know it was you. And Mm. now I'm going to shoot you until, you know, not only are you dead, but some distant relative of yours (laughs) suffers as well. Yeah. It puts, it puts one bill in him, one for each episode. He's been wronged. Yeah. Also get seven, Seven in the chest, um, and they get the money, and they leave, and Frank and goes. Everything was great, and we wrap up the episode. And Duncan, I will see you for season three. Uh, noble, we we don't get this. We don't get this happy ending where everyone <laughs> rides off into the sunset. I, I mean, it's all a question of where you stop it, Duncan. If you end it right there, they yeah. leave for Venezuela, and everybody's happy. Everyone's happy, yeah, yeah, because Frank goes off to change his money into diamonds and um, pay the people he needs to pay for his passport. Um, and Ray has to drive to meet Annie at the boat to get on the boat to go. So Ray has one job here. <laughs> yeah, and you know who screws this up for Ray? Fucking Chad. Fucking Chad. I hate Chad. I despise Chad. I oh my god. Anyway, so Ray, in a moment of weakness, decides I'm gonna pay a visit to Butterchunks at school. <laughs> I need to see my son before I go. Before I leave forever, I need to see my son one more time. The son that I basically said I no longer wanted to see. I now need to see. So he drives to the school, parks up the car, walks up to the school gates. Meanwhile, a suspicious-looking black truck or van um, parks nearby. Uh, Ray walks up to the fence. See, finally, after searching, finds his son. Um, and the son that he's had no connection with at all has his father's um, badge, his police badge. He told him to never forget where you come from. You're a Valcoro, never forget that. And uh, Ray is made up by this. This makes him very, very happy. His son, fucking little Chad bastard, turns his face round. Little cunt chops, that's what I'm going to call him. Cunt chops. <laughs> cunt, cunt chops Chad. There's alliteration for you. Turns his fucking chubby redhead little bastard face round and fucking... <laughs> Waves at Ray. Well, no, he doesn't. He gives him a salute. It's basically the salute of death. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because by the time Ray walks back, there's a puddle underneath his car, 
and he sees a bleeping light and he realizes that he has been tagged. Well, the... I do, uh, before we get to the car, the, the, I do really, really like the moment, though, where Ray walks away. Yeah, and it has. Yeah, and it's he's like, like a fist bump. Yeah, pretty much. He's like, you know what? That was okay. Okay, I can do this now. I can go on with my life. I I see that my son is okay. He he does in fact remember where he came from. The salute may have been a bit much, but all right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like the fact that we and this is also Ray's death warrant that he feels satisfaction and pleasure in anything. Yeah, uh, and and so <laughs> yeah. stupid cunt chop shad. So, uh, gives him a sense of closure. Yeah. And then... It's permanent closure, though. Yeah. Because <laughs> when he walks back to the car, he realizes his car's been tagged, and he can't dislodge it from his car. He tries with his knife, and this thing isn't coming off. And Reed has pretty much resigned himself to the fact that this may be game over. Um, so he's driving, he phones up Annie, he, tell, he says to Annie, listen... Annie, um, what I need you to do is I need you to get on the boat. Things are not great. I'm being followed. Um, and at first she freaks out, as you would expect. Unless he's like that. Listen, I can get rid of these guys. I mean, they're amateurs and I'm better at this and all the rest. And you need to get on that boat and I will meet you. And Annie doesn't, and Annie's heart of heart, she doesn't believe him superficially she does but on her heart of heart she doesn't believe it and the phone gets passed to Scarface and he basically says to her listen things are not going to work out for me I'm not going to be able to make it you make sure she gets on that boat and he drives and records a message to stupid cunt chops Chad basically telling him how much he loves him and all the rest and i've got the uh the transcript of that right in front of me if you would like to read it read it please bo because the, the chad does not deserve these words yes so what what ray says to cunt chop chad is a turn here a turn there and it goes on for years become something else i'm sorry you know for the man i became the father i was I hope you got the strength to learn from that, and I hope you got no doubts how much I loved you, son. And you're better than me. If I'd been stronger, I would have been more like you. Hell, son, if everyone was stronger, they'd be more like you. Less true words have never been spoken, but go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is not deserving of, of any of those. What he is deserving of is uh, to be sitting, eating his pizza while some fucking crow-faced killer comes up behind him with a shotgun... Blows his boy dick off and sprays mace in his eyes. That, you're oh. not no arguments here. I've been I've been telling him for a while. Chad is gonna kill somebody on this show. It just yeah. happened to be Ray. I hate him. I hate him so much. I do. Uh, <laughs> my God, I hate Chad. So yeah. So Ray decides to take them up the garden path, so to speak. So he drives into the woods. Um. And creates a distraction with the money um, and then runs off with his guns uh, into the woods while being pursued by this van. And yeah, he dumps the money everywhere, which is the best. Like that, yeah. that spill. Just, yeah. 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 Just fuck the money. Um, and he doesn't have time and he, he, he runs off. Meanwhile, things aren't going great for Frank either. Frank gets stopped um, by a car stopping quite sharply in front of him and another vehicle coming up behind him and the Mexicans take him 
Um, now, for for reasons that people might be confused of why the Mexicans have come to get them, well, Frank made a promise about certain drugs to be sold in casinos. Casinos that no longer exist because Frank burned them down. Um, and it turns out Mexicans not so happy about that. No, no they, do, they did not take it well. Yes. So they drive him out into the desert in a very Breaking Bad sort of fashion. Um, and then we basically... the next, right, Guys, the next five minutes are going to be hard for me to talk about because this crushed me. It wasn't as if they killed off one character at the start and then one off at the end. They basically killed them off back to back. And this, I was not ready for the emotional weight of this at all. Um, and I genuinely didn't think that... You can say whatever you want about this show. I cared so much about these characters that this fucking floored me. So, um, yeah... So Frank ends up speaking to the Mexicans in the desert. He pretty much apologises for what he's done. Tells them, listen, there's a million in the suitcase. Um, just take that and we're all square. They agree to that. and then, But they're going to drive and leave him in the desert. So Frank's mouth maybe gets the better of him. And says something about, you're just going to leave me fucking here and I don't get a ride back. And then... Um, uh, one of the the Mexican gangsters uh, speaks obviously in Mexican to his friend, who then says he likes your suit. Give him your suit. And Frank is a how can we describe this? And is an immense man of pride. And you can take his million in cash off him, but you're not taking the suit off his back. And, and also the suit, diamonds yeah. are in the suit. So you know th that's the last of his money. So he's not going to do that. He's not going to give him the jacket because that's where his money is. So uh, Frank hits the guy and one of the other guys stabs him in the side and this is in the kidneys. So this is a life-ending stab. Uh, and the camera, he basically says, we've already, stay down, Frank, we've already dug a hole for you. And we see when the camera pans it, when the cars are driving away, there is a grave that's been dug. So the plan was that we're going to kill Frank in the desert. So Frank stands up and Frank is determined that he is going to walk out of there. Yeah. So clutch, clutching his side, he starts to walk. And we're going to come back to him in a minute because we jump to the woods and Ray is running for his life. He's been chased by what I can only assume were the remaining members of uh, Black Mountain. Yeah, as well as Burris, the uh, lieutenant. The, who, the who, remaining detective. Yeah, uh, who keeps yes. spouting off about, like, it's still not too late. I know you've killed a couple of us already, Ray. <laughs> it's not <laughs> yeah. too late. Just come out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, we're, what we want is the woman. What we want is the woman in the file. That's what we want. Um, and Ray takes down a couple of them. It does quite well at it. But Ray eventually realises there's no way he's going to get out of this. And he's desperately, frantically running, trying to get Signal to send this message to stupid cunt chops Chad, uh, who is undeserving of this message. <laughs> right. And, uh, so undeserving of this message. <laughs> and he finally, which is maybe, yeah, which is the reason I can kind of live with the sequence, even though it's heartbreaking. Um, so he gets behind the tree to recoup himself and... 
he puts the phone down, so he's like that, you know, this phone will keep trying to send this signal, eventually I get out. Comes round the corner, um, and is shot to pieces, and dies. And then the camera pans over to the phone, and we see that the voice message hasn't sent. And it is the, the final coffin, and the tragic story of Ray trying to be a father. And like I say, it kind of, I knew Ray was going to die. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want him to get gunned down. I wanted him to at least take out the lieutenant. At least take him out, but he doesn't get taken down. And we see him looking up at the trees. The camera pans round. And like I say, we see the phone and the message isn't being set sent which is the final it's like it's, it's the it's the it's the epitaph really to to Ray's story of failure as a father yeah. Um, yeah which is is it's kind of crushing it's like really really crushing and um yeah Ray Ray sacrifices himself so Annie can escape with the file, so there may be justice somewhere down the line, but his last dying thought must have been at least I've hidden my phone in a place where this message will get out to my son and that message doesn't arrive. Yeah, so... I, I feel like uh, I am not unlike you, Duncan, in that I enjoy a, a tale darkly told. Yeah. I I still felt like this was kicking Ray... What, not only while he's down, while he's down and dying, in a way that I almost don't know, even thematically, other than just, like, we're going to twist the knife, no pun intended. Um, mm. Other than that, you know, yes, he was he, he was certainly not a great father, and, you know, the message is part of that. But he's also made a lot of decisions that were clearly for the benefit of his child. Yeah. And I felt like not having that message sent i you know i don't know it feels like that would have been if it had gone through then we can watch ray die and and feel like you know what at the very least we know the paternity you know or shortly in the episode yeah we'll know know that yeah yeah. and also that he has this last message that he's left with his child and i don't think there's anything you know unsatisfactory about that I, I feel like it's thematically consistent and we're already dealing with so much dark stuff and, and particularly the scene, uh, you know, a scene later with Frank. It's yeah. like, okay, we, you know, we've got enough of kicking these characters when we need to. I felt like yeah. that was maybe one step too much. But my, my underlying philosophy about this is the line that Ray says himself at the very start, we get the life we deserve and Ray has been a shitty father up until this last six months of the show or whatever it is in yeah. the time frame. He's been a shitty fucking father. Um, and we get the life we deserve, which is yeah. that he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't. And I know that seems, I know that seems harsh because at the very end here, there are several players who are fucking scumbags who ultimately end up for all intents and purposes, you can you can speculate whichever way you want about what's going to happen with Annie's character right at the very end and what she does. Um, but 
the you you have Chisani and all the rest who survive this and come out smelling the roses, and you have a guy who's legitimately trying his hardest at the end here to do what is right by his son, and he can't even do that right, and that yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I know it's what you sad. Mean. It it's feels very like, sad. Yeah, it feels like an unnecessary kick when they're down, but it feels to me. Well, I keep dropping this down. This to me feels David. This David Lynch is ripping out this scene. No one, no one walks away happy in a David Lynch movie ever. Everyone, everyone suffers. Yeah. Everyone suffers in a David Lynch. It's very. It's actually very Mulholland Drive. Actually, when I think about it, and um, yeah. And then we move on to the next scene, which is Frank. And just when you think this show can't depress you anymore, Frank is basically walking through the desert and dealing with his demons, physically manifested demons. And first it's his father, his father that locked him in the basement, basically blaming him for his mother leaving them and, and all, the, all the shit that comes with that. And then it's a, a group of of black gang members who we can only assume Frank did something to. Um, yeah. And yeah. then we get a guy begging for his life. And I was like, Oh Jesus Christ, a guy begging for his life. And only Frank could have saved this guy. So Frank is basically walking a walk of judgment um, in the desert, bleeding from the side. And they're all telling him to lie down and, and just give up and all the rest. And Frank is resolutely fighting against it. You do not lie down. That's what he said throughout this entire show. I will not lie down. Um, and he doesn't uh, until a certain point where he sees uh, Jordan in a white dress, which is the image. And they have this conversation. And I knew straight away that Frank was dead because he yeah. walks towards her in a manner where he's not holding his side and they have this whole conversation and he basically says, I told you, you know, I'd I'd I'd, I'd get to you and all the rest. And she says, well, you never, you stopped back there. And we realise that he's already died. And this is the, I don't know, his manifestation of his last dying thought um, as, uh, of Jordan. And then he himself... Falls face down and dies in the desert. And I thought, oh my fucking God. Yeah, it, it's a really uh, almost anonymous end to this character that, you know, throughout the season we've had our ups and downs. But, you know, I think we can agree that Frank has always been interesting to watch, if nothing else. Yeah. And yeah. it reminded me of Casino. Remember Joe Pesci's yeah. character dies in the desert in Casino? And it kind of reminded me of that, that kind of idea of the Vegas sort of mob bosses who had casinos basically are all murdered in the desert. It's a perfect place to bury someone. And it kind of kind of reminded me of that to an extent. And Annie's on the boat by this point, And she, when, when Ray dies, there's a realisation. I think she, not that she knows that Ray is dead, but she in her heart knows that Ray didn't survive. And she yeah. breaks down into tears. And we then get the clip of what we never saw in True Detective Season 1, but it was heavily implied in True Detective Season 1. Oh, wait, we, we should do paternity oh. real quick. Yeah, paternity, right. So the, the, the we, we cut to a scene of 
Ray's ex-wife. She opens the paternity test. And of course, Ray is the father. The, the irony of the entire situation is, whilst he has been so desperate to keep a hold of a son that he did not think was his, and he was petrified about it, the son was actually his. And she breaks down. And it, I, like, I like the idea of her putting all the pictures of him with Chad and the paternity test in a box and not been in it. Which makes me think that somewhere down the line, when he's old enough and ready, that'll come out. Yeah, if not the rape, certainly. Here's who your father was. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing, yeah. yeah. But the, the, the issue is, by now, Ray has been blamed for the death of Paul and the death of many, many people on the news. We cut to a sequence of Ray's dad in tears, heartbroken that his son's name is dragged through the mud. He's been named as as basically this this uh, rogue yeah, cop. a cop killer, yeah. Yeah, a cop killer, So, which is the most unceremonious death for any cop, really. Um, so, yeah, so we, we, we get a clip of that. Ironically, <clears throat> Paul has been made a martyr. He has yep. the highway that he patrolled, I'm assuming, named after him. Um, and he's a hero who died in the line of duty. Yeah, um, he, he always wanted to be out, out on the highway on his bike, and now, you know... He, it's yeah. the highway, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it, so, if that character had been more interesting, what a beautiful end to the character it would be. <laughs> yeah, but then, but then I was thinking about it. The more I was thinking about it, the only two cat this this weird way, uh, a weird kind of strange inverse in this season where Ray and Annie, who were true to themselves, they knew they were fucked up characters and they dealt with it. They were honest about themselves. Ray was always honest about himself. He was a fuck up. Um, he drank too much. He did too much drugs. He was in Frank's pocket and all the rest. And Annie, who maybe didn't fully realise where all everything was coming from, but knew it was coming from a dark place. They are the ones that are... One of them's left dead and the other one's left out in the cold. The guy who repressed everything... <laughs> the show repressed it all down as much as possible, pushed who he was into this small box away from it is the one that celebrated at the end. Right, but that's sort of thematically appropriate too, because it is, of course. Yeah. But that's what I mean. That's what. That's why I think the show. Once again, there's the, some of the comments I was reading where where people were saying that you know, they were they were over overly mean to Ray and overly. Uh, overly filled with praise for Paul, the characters in the show, and I was like that. But that's the that's realistic. That's how life is. The thing's been pinned on Ray, so Ray is scum, um, and as such, Ray has been quote unquote uh, pegged as the guy that killed Paul. So Paul, of course, is a hero. So because he died in the line of duty, he was the only one that was still. As a police officer, he was the only one that was, you know, he was the one that wasn't dismissed. He didn't have any ABPs out on him or anything like that. So yeah, and um, in a in a larger sense, the culture that is honoring Paul, which is built entirely on subterfuge and yeah. lies, yes, rewards the character that was closest to what it is. Yeah, and the the we get a, a montage sequence of basically. Chisani's son is the new mayor. He's elected at the side of him. That lieutenant uh, is all happy. Um, the wee guy that was played by Vince Masuka, the guy that was running for governor, he is ushering in the rail line for Catalyst. So 
season one ended. I've spoken about this before. Season one ends with um, with the understanding of Rusk's character that maybe things aren't all dark. That maybe sometimes the light is more powerful than the dark. And yeah, they solved that aspect of the case. They caught the killer. But the machine, the Tuttle Institute in the background, the machine is still going. The police are still in the pocket of the Tuttles. It extends out to the mayor or the governor or whatever it extends into politics. And it's riddled right through Louisiana or wherever the show was set. Yeah, It's all still there at the end. So whilst they yeah have wrapped up their case the machine still exists um yeah and it's the comparison to the night sky it's yes most of the world is dark but it's these pinpricks of light that we either see or create that provides us with meaning yeah this season shows you the the machine still in action so it shows you all the people who are the people involved with all the subterfuges you were saying benefiting at the end of this business as usual nothing changes the mayor is now that office is now led by his son who if anything will continue to run a similar system of of bribes etc um the 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 people the person that's taken over casper's role the vince masuka character he has bought his way into that and he will get kickbacks and everyone Everyone, it's business as usual. And this show shows you it, which is a more depressing note because we don't get that, well, maybe we can, you know, maybe we can look to the light or those pinpricks. What Pizzolatto has actually done here is put it out in your face. Um, Subtle as a brick through a window. Um, You know, it's, it's all there that... And I know what you were saying and we're going to, like, what you said to me in a message and we'll come to it at the very end. Meanwhile... We jump ahead a little bit, um, and we are, I'm assuming, in Venezuela, uh, although we could be in any South American country, and Annie is relaying this story, um, which makes me think on some level if Annie has been telling the story to the reporter, and that's what we've been seeing. Like, almost like the show has been her narration without us getting the opening right. of her narrating it. Um which makes sense to an extent, but it doesn't in terms of how Frank died and all the rest. How would she know that? Um, but it, it kind of feels like he, she's just finishing her story at the end of that story. And um, she has some of the paperwork, not all the file, and she gives it to a reporter. And the reporter's like, you need to come back with me and we can take this. And she's like, no, that is given to you. It's not for me. And she's going to disappear now. And she walks out the room and walks into another room and Jordan's there. So she did meet up with Jordan, which was something that Frank had asked her. Frank had asked her to to look out for the woman in the white dress and all the rest, give her a picture. Uh, Jordan has in her hands a baby, which we can only assume was from that one night stand with Ray, which on some level is an interesting concept for the end of the show because men have been vastly played in this show as being impotent. Um, and Ray, to the best of his knowledge, dies feeling impotent, um, but he ultimately has two kids at the end of it. Um, wait, wait a way to get out of child support. Eh? Um, yeah, right. Is that, is that too, too soon? Too soon. Uh, <laughs> 
I don't think that applies to fictional characters. That's okay then. Uh, so, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. I just imagine people going, fuck this show. Dude. Yeah, if I could do uh, Cecil the Lion jokes, you can, yeah, you oh, can yeah. certainly do I'm Ray safe. jokes. Yeah. I'm safe. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so uh, she gets uh, Jordan, they walk outside, and Nails is there waiting for them, and they go off into hiding. And the camera then pans uh, to the sky, I believe, um, again on the night sky, and and finishes. And that is the end of True Detective Season 2. Now, Bo, let me, before you kick in with what you said in your message to me about kind of the, the longer you've thought about it, there's a party that just kind of feels what what was the point then i don't know if yeah. you still feel that way but let, let me let me just clear up a couple of the things that i said at the beginning about the narrative lines of the story of the show and how i don't feel that they were overly convoluted and how i actually think the majority of them are answered at above satisfactory level which and a show like this is actually really... When you look at True Detective Season 1 as well, there are a lot of avenues in that show that are never explained at all. And that's because they don't need to be explained. Because, like I just stressed uh, earlier on in this episode, it's a mystery. You're at ground level with the detectives and some leads never pan out and some things you see never make sense. But they're there because that's how people investigate things. You have many leads. Some of them are fruitful. Some of them are not fruitful. So, yeah, so our our main kind of storylines here are that Casper um, was a very corrupt man. Casper had his fingers in many pies, one of which was a film production. Um, He was obviously taking money for certain things that were happening um in his in his his constituency in terms of buildings etc he'd be, become very wealthy off the back of the fact that he had this power over the police because he knew that the police officers had robbed the diamonds and he had somehow managed to i think he worked for the police department at the time as an accountant and he had managed to get his hands on these blue diamonds and he held them and instead, and it was a way to control things. But Casper had a soft spot, and his soft spot was hookers. Lots and lots of hookers. Lots and lots of hookers. And through the younger Chisani, um, had found his way into these very sordid parties. Um, so, right, so Casper was dealing with Frank, and Frank wanted to go legit and buy into this railroad that Catalyst was building. He wanted to buy some land and get into there. And Casper basically done him out that money. Got him to pay for the majority of what was his share as well. Frank was paying for a lot more than he should have been paying for. And um, Casper is murdered. Now, Casper is murdered because he had the blue diamonds. The blue diamonds, which I explained earlier on, were from the jewelers, which were shot by the cops. Casper had given the cops' names to the killer, who was the son of the the jeweller, who wore the mask. Now, people have been talking about the occult mask. The masks were simply a fetish that Casper had. Yeah. And must have been in... If you look at that creepy room, what I described as being... Which was obviously where Casper died, was in that CD room with the hard drive. There There were a series of masks on the back wall, and there was a missing space for one. That is obviously where the crow head went. 
So that's where he got the crow head from. You you see it if you go back to episodes uh, two. Yeah. Um, you see it then. There's a missing space. That's where the crow mask was. So uh, that guy had got the name of the cops from Casper, tortured them, and for shits and giggles, left them out in the road. Our three cops find the body and start their investigation. Their investigation leads them to a lot of understanding that Casper was somehow linked to Catalyst. Frank, in the meantime, is trying to get his money back. Catalyst are having none of it. Um, and obviously, Frank then hires Ray to do a bit of further investigation. All three police departments are wanting something different from their cops. At some point, the Lieutenant of Vinci sets up this idea of what he's going to do is basically get them to this gunfight, which will be case closed, and obviously take care of Dixon, who was a guy who had information and been snapping the pictures. Dixon's assassinated, case closed. But it isn't, because no one's satisfied with the answer, because the answer's a bit pish. <laughs> really, if we're being honest. Yes. Um, I it's, think it's any a... American would tell you that is a pish answer. It's a pish answer. So, <laughs> um... In the meantime, uh, our cops have got a couple of different leads. Uh, they're brought together by a DA who tells them to further investigate into things and they make the connection, which have already made a connection between Annie's dad, Chisani, and the psychiatrist. So they all knew each other way back in the day um, and it's a relationship which Chisani and the psychiatrist had kept going because the mayor had got rid of his wife using this surgeon. This surgeon's also working with his son to fit up some rather interesting boob jobs to prostitutes and send them out to these exclusive parties, which um, are being held by Blake, who is Frank's assistant. Blake has killed Stan, because uh, Stan found out about it, uh, and scarred his eyes to make it look like it was the same killer uh, behind the death of um, Casper. Yep. So, once again, so far, I'm not finding anything convoluted. Um, these sex parties are basically used as a way to bring a lot of businessmen together to make dodgy deals while having a bit of fun on the side. Um, and this Russian mobster who's bought out all of Frank's properties is also buying in quite heavily to Casper's shares in the sum of $12 million, and that gives him a, a large stock of land to get rid of in this uh, development sell-off to make a lot of money. So he basically screwed Frank out of it. Yeah, Ray, and he's also making those plays on, on in kind of behind, you know, behind the pale is, uh, you know, making plays on Frank's clubs as well. Yeah, yeah, he's, 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 he's set to replace Frank. Frank's character, he's going to take over everything that Frank has. He's basically going to take Frank's dream as well, which is he will be involved with this rail construction. Um, Annie goes undercover. We obviously get Annie's backstory as to why she's so damaged. It was because she was abducted. She kills that guy in that fantastic fucking way with a knife. And I'm going to say, not overly disappointed that I didn't get to see another knife thing. Even though it had been built up quite a lot, I think the reaction that she had where she was like that, I finally did it, you know, and all the rest is kind of, it was enough for me. It was enough for me. Um, but basically we're in a position where our cops find the file. They tie all the names up together. Paul um, is blackmailed. He arrives at the place Paul is killed. Our other two cops tie up the loose end with the crow killer. So that's our killer out the way. So everything that happens after that killer is out the way is basically almost like an extension of what Russ and Marty would have done in terms of taking down Tuttle if they wanted to. Um, 
Frank obviously decides that he is going to take down the Russian guy, which Julie does. Frank dies because uh, he has betrayed some people as well in business. Um, and then uh, the final slap in the face to them was his inability to give them the jacket or the suit which had the diamonds. So that's and that's what results in this character dying. And the cops kill Ray because Ray he won't might, give up Annie. Yeah, for Ray won't give up yeah. Annie. And Ray dies, so they will never get Annie. Um, and Annie escapes with that. Now, I'm just going to step back here and say, when you lay them out, what is so convoluted about the show? I don't think there's anything that convoluted. Yeah, there are some. Like there's intricacies over, over. and there yeah, are yeah. false, you know, false leads and that kind of thing. But uh, that's what a detective yeah. story, yeah, does. That's what a good detective. So I, I don't, and I know it's not a criticism that you have. I don't see that as being a criticism. Um, also, like a couple of people, including our good friend Mr. Andy Blockley, said that on some level he felt that the show was slightly anticlimactic. I don't know how you can walk away with that at all. I thought. It's anticlimactic if you thought for one second that Ray and Frank were going to make good at the end. And I said coming into this episode that I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't think we were going to get our three true detectives and Frank all alive at the end of this one. And when they killed off Paul, as far as I was concerned, anyone can go. Even though Paul was the least interesting of the lot, anyone could go. And of that of that group of anyone, the logical people to go are the guys in this show because they're the most corrupt Ray and Frank are the two most corrupt characters on the, the side of justice in this story both of them have done horrible things to people and whilst I was most uh, invested and connected to them we still have to remember they're murderers um, yeah so, but, the, but relatively speaking they are more innocent than the people they're pursuing who are in course. fact lawmen yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So, yeah, I, I didn't, get, I didn't find this ending anticlimactic at all. It, it built to a point where, it built to a point where, yeah, we kill off our two, our two main characters die, and the bad guys win or do they? We don't know. Maybe something happens after the show, um, in a timeline where there's, you know, the press leak this thing, um, you know, into corruption and all the rest. And maybe that happens. But once again, it's not that different from the end in a true detective season one, except our two guys survive at the end. All the bad people out with the actual killer survive. And in true detective season two, all the bad people apart from our killer survive. So I. I don't see that as being like a criticism of the show. I, I think the biggest crime of the show, and I mentioned it earlier, is pacing. That is my that is my problem with this show. There was too much time spent on that that um the gunfight in episode four. Far too much time spent on that. When of a show of sixty minutes, nothing happens apart from a twenty minute gun sequence we could have had a lot more information in the investigation tied up there which we could have naturally carried over into the next episode which would not have been detrimental to the story um episode one we both said felt kind of muddled in the context of watching it in a larger scope episode one and two flow really nicely into each other and episode two had that great satisfying end of uh, re being shot i hate the fact that when they walk into that the room with the two 
masks, they see the shotgun that shot Ray and the shells which are, you know, riot things. The yeah. masks are in his house. We know he's a killer. We don't need to see a shotgun and we don't need to see the shotgun shells. Only a fucking moron would not know, you know, that this Right, is right, like, like, you don't have to be a great detective to be like, yeah. hey, crow mask, sister, <laughs> yeah. huh, I yeah, wonder you... if this is my guy. Yeah, we don't need to see a shotgun and we don't need to see rubber bullets. Um, I didn't like, I felt that was ham-fisted to say the least. But out with that, um, out with the pacing issues, and, and like I say, Paul turned the corner for me towards the end um, because he served his use in the show. To me, he's a sideline character. He should never have been... I would have been much more happier if this had been Annie, Ray and... Frank is the main characters, yeah. and Paul is someone they bring in to help them because he found the original body. I would have been much happier with that. He's got the military training, which would have served him well in the conflicts he went into later on. Maybe his role becomes more important after he's helped, he brought in to help them with the gunfight, and after that he becomes more invested because that's when his character becomes more interesting. Um, so yeah, that, that to me is a, a slight feeling of the show is trying to really get us, trying to really push that character for the first couple of episodes in a way which it just made it not interesting. Out with that, I like this show. I think the casting was impeccable. Minus maybe Paul, but the casting was, I think if Colin Farrell doesn't get an Emmy, then he has been robbed. I think if... Vince Vaughn isn't at least given some sort of proper recognition by some sort of award institute or given some seriously interesting roles from now on it is grossly unfair. Um, I think that when we're in a position, Rachel McAdams was quite an interesting character in here. She she unfortunately maybe didn't live up to a lot of the bashing which Nick Pizzolatto was given in terms of his inability to write female characters because they created a female character in here who at first starts off very mannish, very masculine, and the reason that she's broken down is because she was raped, which feels like a, a trope that is used but, oh yeah, so she's damaged. She drinks yeah, a lot. Little and too easy. Yeah, 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 and yeah, and maybe that falls into that trope that maybe he does indeed struggle to write female characters. But Jordan, at her height, in here at her most interesting, was a strong female character. It just took a while for that to come out. Um, all the other characters as well. People like the mayor and um, the mayor's son. The, the creepy fucking psychiatrist. There was there was a lot of casting that was done incredibly well in here. The dialogue was a bit clunky at times from Frank. I felt that he spoke sometimes a bit too much like an Indian shaman um, and less like a mob boss. Um, but there were some really cool concepts there. Pizzolatto experimented with some ideas of the afterlife in this show. And that wasn't just done a couple of times. It mentioned it with Frank's dream. It was it happened when Ray was shot with the rubber bullets. And it happens again at the end with Frank walking and being chased by his demons. So there was that kind of handling of things. I thought the score and soundtrack was brilliant. I thought the way it was shot out with the first two episodes was excellent. The nods to David Lynch, Michael Mann, Chinatown um, are all there. The Maltese Falcon. They, they were all in there and they were never done in a way where I was like, oh, this is plagiarism. So yeah, I think that people that have a hard time of this show need to step the fuck off. I think this show 
And then when people are like, oh, it's just a run-of-the-mill... You know, it's lost all its interest because it's not doing the occult stuff. It's basically a run-of-the-mill cop show. Show me another show that does this, please. I have not seen one. Maybe there's a ton of them out there. If there is, I can't wait to watch them. <laughs> and if you've got and if you've got another one, what the fuck are you complaining about? I don't, I don't get that criticism. I don't get it at all. Um, Duncan, so yeah, I, I think you're trying to insert logic into the hate-watching that some people have been doing. Yeah, Where... and I don't, I, I don't, I don't, the, the biggest crime that this show doesn't have, according to some people, is it doesn't have a Rust character in here. And if it has a Rust character in here, the same people would be complaining that Nick Pizzolatto can only write characters that speak in riddles um, about the universe and all the rest. So that's that, that that appears to be the biggest crime, that Nick Pizzolatto wanted to try and write different characters. Oh, well, fucking shame on him. Right, it it would be like saying that Herman Melville's later work did not have enough whales in it. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, we've told that story. Now this is a different story, and yeah, I mean, I agree. Ruskell is one of the best characters to ever grace a screen. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we're not gonna. You know, I think why would you want to? Why would you want to try and recreate that with anyone other than Matthew McConaughey? Yeah, right, right, and that's the big problem is. It's never as good as the first time, as my uh, heroin dealer will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't chase the cold dragon yeah. uh, for too long before you realize, like, oh, that was just this unique, you know, creative and, and, and perfect place in time that allowed True Detective Season 1 to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a remarkable show, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I'm curious, Duncan. Yes. Indulge my curiosity, if you would. Mm -hmm. If you were to grade the season as a whole, mm -hmm. on a scale of 1 to 10, one, 1 being lowest, 10 being highest, yeah. let's make it clear, mm -hmm. what would you give season 2 of True Detective? 8. Alright, that's reasonable. I don't think that's I think, crazy. I, I think it's an 8, and to be honest, it comes back to my... My percentage that I gave it last week was 80%. I said that overall the show's been 80% and that carried right through this. I, I, don't, I don't get the hate. I really don't. I, I, to me, if the show grades 8 out of 10, the majority of shows that I see on TV don't grade that, grade that high. I mean, True Detective Season 1 is 10 out of 10. It's immaculate. It's perfect. Um... This drops two points for a second series and an anthology. It could have been so much worse. It could have been so, so, so much worse. And I think that people are being... And it's not just... The thing is, it's not just internet rage on this. Like I say, Rotten Tomatoes posted their overall view, and that's industry critics reviewing. That's a poll of industry critics Re review, uh, reviewing and the percentage rating for the finale is 22% and yeah, I that's crazy. I that's don't know right. what fucking TV show they were watching at all I don't know what show they were watching because 22% to me is the dregs, it's the pits it's actors that can't act it's you know it's it's you know camera angles that are wrong it's dialogue that's clunky it's you know like storylines that don't make sense and I've went through all my different points here, and I don't think this show has any of that. And like I say, its biggest crime for me is pacing issues, big, big glaring pacing sure. issues. This could this story could have been told over six episodes and felt perfect. 
Um, and it's been extended out to eight, probably because HBO likes the idea of eight episodes because the previous season was eight episodes. And we don't know how big Pizzolatto's original script for this was or story for it was. And we don't know if maybe he submitted it into HBO and HBO's like eight episodes. We need eight episodes. And he's had to go back and fill it with certain episodes with, with minor dialogue and you know and scenes like that we will we probably won't know that until the blurry um which i will be buying i am i'm behind this show 100 percent. i think the the thing that is shown to me is that i don't necessarily think season one was a complete fluke i think the quality may have been a complete fluke but i think pizzolato was an interesting writer and i would watch happily watch a season three of True Detectives set in another area of America, um, dealing with other detectives looking into another crime with another government organisation in the background. Or if if he decided that this season wasn't going to be a cult and the next season is going to be 100% a cult stuff, I, I will follow Pizzolatto into his next season of True Detective. Looking forward to it, I, I do not see this as a blemish against his work. I just see it as a guy trying to experiment, do other things, and I don't think we should uh, criticise, chastise, or lamblast uh, a writer for wanting to try and write something different from what he has written before. And that's that it is there is a witch hunt online just now, gunning for this man's blood because. Carrie Fukunaka didn't come back to direct every single episode. FYI, Carrie Fukunaka was supposed to be doing it, and that's why he didn't do this, and that fell through. And yeah, probably could have come back to the project. There are rumours that Fukunaka and Pizzolatto don't like each other. Um, and maybe that's true, I don't know. I, I would have been more interested possibly to see the season directed with one director all the way through. I don't think Pizzolatto gets to make that decision, no. I think that's HBO. Um, and there's a, it seemed like there was quite a few directors on the list for this season that have done True Blood and Game of Thrones and HBO shows. That makes me think that's an HBO choice. Um, I don't know exactly how much sway are saying things that Pizzolatto actually had in this season. And maybe maybe he was on set to make sure the story was was relayed correct correctly or whatever but he's still the writer and creator of the creator of the show it's the director that sets up how the action is shot and it's an editor who who edits it all together so Pizzolatto seems to be getting a lot of fucking shit flung at him once again a movie is not the sum of one person a movie is the sum of all the people involved in that movie um and a tv show is exactly the fucking same so yeah i i that's that's all I wanted. To, I wanted to sound off because, like I say, I I've come to the end of this, and um, I've come to the end of but it. Finished, and my wife turned around and said to me that it was an incredibly sad episode, but she enjoyed watching it, and I think that is, I think that's the the best description for the finale is that is an incredibly sad episode, but ended in a way which and I, I was thinking about more and more Bo, about how time is kind to shows like this time is not kind to, remember when the sopranos finished see oh, the yeah. backlash that ending got in the sopranos and people were like it's ruined it six years of my life and all the rest and went into it. 
see when you speak to these same people now it's not a big deal anymore it's not it's not a big deal because in the context of the show i like i, I loved the ending of the sopranos i thought it was fucking genius i did because, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah you fill in the blanks that's the end of this episode the episode is the information's out there you fill in the blanks does the reporter do anything with it do, do the people that are corrupt get brought down or does everything just keep turning the way it's always turned and I, I like that the end of the lost was the same people bitched about the end of the lost I liked the end of the lost and I think maybe what has come down to is maybe I don't maybe I don't get hung up as much as maybe a lot of other people get hung up on this idea that at the end of a TV show, all the threads must be tied in a neat bow. It doesn't bother me. It's, ne- it's never bothered me. Um, to me, if a show ends, um, and I think that they've done a good job throughout the episode or throughout the show, to keep me watching it, which they clearly have, then I celebrate what's what's right about the show. I can point out the minor flaws, but I don't fucking lampoon it. Um, I, I just don't get that. You yeah. specifically, I'm, I'm going to shut up because I have just talked for about 10 minutes on a rant there. Um, you tell me where you come in in terms of uh, an overall grade for True Detective Season 2 and generally what your thoughts are. Yeah, I I got I to gotta be honest, Duncan, because of the, the length of that rant, I was kind of tuning in and out. But uh, <laughs> what, I, what I took away was that Nick Pizzolatto is singularly responsible for the quality of the show <laughs> uh, and that he should be blamed uh, and also that Lost was somehow good. Um, I, because, I, I, because I, I didn't watch Lost. I'm, I'm just screwing with you. Because of you, I have just stabbed a knife into my leg. <laughs> <laughs> Class dismissed. Um, <laughs> now I want to watch Young Frankenstein. Um, so... All right, I I come in a little less enthusiastic about this season than do you, um, but a lot of that has to do with Paul. I I really think that the character of Paul was really undercooked. Mm-hmm. Um, I the the services that he provided the show being he found the body, and that's kind of it, and then he died. Um, that is not all that Paul. That's did. not all that Paul did, but you could have you you could. Almost whole cloth remove that character from this show, and the thrust of the show would not change that dramatic. Yeah, I, I would agree. It probably doesn't change that. Like I say, he was used more as a a device for the action sequences which happened in the show. He's basically, I think, what they tried to do is the qualities of right, the qualities of Rust as a character was Rust was beaten down. He was he was basically. He, it's like they've separated the Rust character into two characters in this show. So um, Ray is the beaten down, drunk, but intelligent when he needs to be cop side of the Rust character. That badass side that will just go gung-ho into something and has no fear of of like bullets or anything 
is the Paul side, and that is not enough to make a full character out of. Yeah. You need something else there to make it three-dimensional, otherwise you're left with a two-dimensional character. And I can see what they try to do with the, the whole closet homosexual aspect is to try and is to try and give him a bit of a, a backstory which would make you on some level maybe sympathise with the character and it didn't work. It wasn't fully it was never fully realized and it never really worked. Um and yeah, I I would agree with that. His to me, his character is only ever at its most interesting during the gunfight in episode four and during the raid on the mansion in episode um six. Yeah. That that's that's his two that is the pinnacle of that character. And no, and and, and his death in episode seven where, you know, he he takes down the Black Mountain guys in the, the subterranean tunnels and um, ultimately, you know, he dies. That, yeah. Those, so, but we're saying three individual elements, three 20-minute sequences out of an eight-hour programme. So it was really his pertinent time on screen as an hour, which yeah. to me denotes secondary character. Doesn't denote first, first he's not first tier, he's second tier. Yeah, and if if he had been played like that, if he were just a character that they went to on occasion or something, that I, I feel like that would have played better. Um, I agree. But, all right, so my complaints with Paul aside, uh, I agree with you that, yes, yeah, some, sometimes the dialogue gets a little clunky, but it, this is clearly Pizzolatto's uh, tip of the hat to, you know, Polanski and, you know, film noir and, and mm -hmm. you know, I... No pun intended, a true detective story as opposed yeah. to season one, which is a, yes, it's a detective story, but it's also this sort of existential mystery more yeah. than anything else. And uh, true detective season two is, um, you know, it, it very much mirrors the Chinatown construction of yeah. you start with this intimate crime, it blossoms into this giant machinery of politics and then it reduces down again to a personal story mm -hmm. um i don't think that season two of true detective is as successful at that as chinatown is but then again oh, no, who no, is no. you know yeah, like i mean but then you're you're comparing you're comparing a tv show to a master class of cinema by arguably one of the greatest directors ever made. Right. So, right, you know right. what I mean? On, on that level, it's, but yeah, I, I yeah, I, I can see where you, I, it doesn't handle it as well. Yeah. Um, There's that, a, that, that is, but that is an issue. I think, I think that's an issue that we need to openly acknowledge is that it aspires to be something that ultimately it doesn't live up to. Yeah. But you know, as we've said a number of times on this show, I'm, I'm glad that we're making the attempt. You know, I, mm -hmm. I'm a big film noir fan. Um, I, I like to see film noir elements in, in any television show, and especially one like this that embraces it so, you know, wholeheartedly, mm -hmm. uh, for better and worse. You know, sometimes the dialogue is affected, I think, by Pizzolatto's urge to make it snappy and quick fire and, and, and also be philosophically relevant and all that stuff. So, you know, he, we're juggling a lot of balls in this show. Um, much like I do on the weekends, you know that. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I kind of oh, did. I, I, it just slipped out. Uh, but my rates are reasonable. Just saying. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think overall the show is successful in being an entertaining show 
that has a lot of lofty ambitions that it sometimes fails to reach. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, we, a number of times discussing movies or whatever, we've often said, I would rather a show shoot for something greater than itself and fail and be interesting in that failure than for a show just to be routine. Mm-hmm. And my least favorite parts of season two of true detective are the places when it's routine. Um, you know, things like, you know, Annie is a damaged character. Well, she's a female character. So how she, how was she damaged? Well, it had to be a rape, you know, you could do yeah. a number that's a, of that's, things. That's a, that, I think, I think his issue is that I think he, he obviously as a writer aspires to be in keeping in those, in the veins of things like, um, you know, the great noir writers of old. And yeah, like there's, there's a no, Dashiell there's no, Hammett and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no, like Chandler and things like that. There is no strong female character in any of those books, really. They're, yeah, they're, 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 they're femme fatales in his books or they're, they're, they're damaged characters. And, and that is a very old approach to doing it. And yeah, he, he got a lot of criticism. And I don't know how much of that criticism given to him resulted in the knee jerk response of putting a character like Annie in here. But, Maybe he just can't write female characters, and to be honest with you, I think if he if he can, he should probably just put his hand up and say, you know, Where I, is I understand. Nora Ephron when we need her? I, I, yeah, I think he should put his hand up though and say, yeah, I have you. Yeah, I understand your criticisms about this, but I play to my strengths as a writer. And I'm the one that has a deal with HBO and not you, feminist. So you know what I mean. There's, I think there's a level where, like, you know, it was like it's 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 the same argument flung. There's almost like no happy medium these days. I mean, the new Mad Max movie comes out and it's criticised for being too feminist, a feminist propaganda machine. And it's like, why? Because we have strong female characters in that. Yeah. So where's yeah. the where is where is the happy medium in 2015? For yeah. female characters, I, I, I don't, I don't know. It's like societies when you can't do one thing or the other. And should we always, should we be that critical of TV shows on that level? I don't know if we should. Well, I think if it's something as commonplace as, you know, like I said, you know, we have a damaged character. How is she damaged? Oh well, she was raped. Mm. You know, like that yeah, seems that a very be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is bad. Yeah, but, I mean, there are plenty of other places, you know, like we talked about Jordan in the last episode of being this character that, you know, Frank introduces a dead body to, mm-hmm. and and she immediately, like, she understands the situation, and she understands her relationship with Frank, and it's it's grown uh, over some time, a little too long if you ask me, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, so that's a strong female character. I, you know, the, the thing that uh, I have always been taught about female characters is... Write all the characters as men and then change the names. Yeah. And then you have a character that does not have a gender bias natively. Yeah. Um, but, you know, your point is well taken. There there are extremes of both sides of this. Um, I think there are fair, uh, you know, fair fingers leveled at Pizzolatto in terms of how he handles some of the female characters. Um, but not all of them. You know, I don't, I don't think anything is wholly good or bad. Yeah most of the time and the uh, dialogue i mean if we're being fit the dialogue at times in this season was a bit clunky sure but i i kind of chalk that up to 
the sort of tone that we're going for. Yeah. And I don't know that that bothers me as much as it, it bothers some people because, you know, the, the first season is this very naturalistic sort of dialogue. And as you pointed out earlier, uh, quite wisely, that, you know, McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are big friends and that chemistry is just natural. So when they're talking to each other, even if it's, you know, words that they've memorized and internalized and all that stuff, mm-hmm. they're still talking to each other as people who know one another. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and I think maybe this season, you know, you're dealing with different characters. Obviously, I don't think that Colin Farrell and Rachel McAdams hang out all the time, although I think he <laughs> and uh, Vince Vaughn should. I, uh, oh, I so, so think they should. I think they... I, I think I would like to see them do something together again pretty soon. I actually thought they had incredible chemistry for the most unlikely partnership of two characters. I've said it before, when that was announced back last year, that um, the True Detective season two, the, the first two characters that were announced were Vince Vaughn and Colin Farrell. I was like, Colin Farrell, right, I get that, I get that. And Vince Vaughn, I like him as an actor. I've said that. I think, yeah, he's the last decade's been plagued by nonsense. But the start of his career, very, very interesting. Um, and I was like, oh, I can see why they'd want to bring him in. Yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. And I was like, but the two of them together? Uh, yeah. I don't know about that. And then when I heard that he was going to play, when Vince Vaughn was going to play a gangster, I was like, oh, I don't know about that either. Um, and the, the casting people behind that, knew something I didn't. They saw something I didn't. Or, I don't know if Pissolato specifically wrote them for their parts. If he did, then give that man a muffin basket. And maybe, you know, put some frosting on those muffins. Frost those muffins. Um, <laughs> that's right. On your marks, get set, frost your muffins. Um <laughs> Which sounds, now sounds like some sort of deviant sexual practice. Um, I don't know it why. would it would be in you know Tony Chisani's uh, yeah. manner. If 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 Tony Chisani tells you that he wants to frost your muffin, that is not a positive. That is not no, a good thing. No, no, no. You, 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 you might want to get out of there. You might want to do an Annie, get the knife out, slash a couple of vital points in a man, make a run for the door, um, and just hope that Ray's got the car running. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, think, well, I think more my issue with the clunky dialogue actually revolves around Frank. Because Frank, every now and again, said something which was incredibly poignant, witty, clever and then there was other lines that came out his mouth and i was just like i have difficulty believing your character would say that yeah yeah um and even some of these guys remember yeah. there was one the guy with the ginger hair and the beard who said was it something like he's a he's a shark with with snake eyes or something with when he was talking about the russian like one of the early episodes he said that and it's one of the most ridiculous descriptions i've ever heard about a character ever and i was like that you would not you're a low-level thug working for a gangster. You would not speak like that. And, yeah. And at times, it, you know what I mean? It's kind of like almost like he's in certain... He's trying to make certain aspects a bit more highbrow than they need to be, as opposed to making some of the dialogue a bit more organic. And saying that, though, Frank easily delivered 75% of this show's greatest one-liners. Um just like every episode, there would be a line that came out of his mouth, and I was like, "That, you know, that's fucking genius." <laughs> you know, yeah, I absolutely love that. So, yeah, I, for every fuck up he may have done with a, a kind of clunky line, he delivered in spades elsewhere. So, 
I think uh, you are some sort of prog- prognosticator, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps a prestidigitator um, <laughs> of, of some stripe, because your mention of seventy-five, sir, is uh, ex- exactly my score. I would I would yeah. give this a seven and a half out of ten. Um, yeah, I think it was a good season. Uh, I don't think it's a great season. I, th- I think it's very good. I, I, you know, your point is well taken. I know I keep, I keep mentioning things you've said, but surprisingly, you've said a, n- a number of really smart things tonight. Um, <laughs> so, yay! yay. Um, see what happens when I don't drink. I'm like Ray. I yeah yeah. Well, and also wearing the the helmet, I think helps a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I feel like for all the show's faults it is still better than most of the shows around. And, and the, the point that you made was, you know, if there's another show that is a detective noirish kind of television program that is as good as this for all its flaws, show me that thing. Cause I will love it. Yeah. I, um, I would love to sit down and watch that program because I am not aware of that. And there hasn't been one, there hasn't been a show that has handled there hasn't been like i mean especially when you're dealing with corruption in police offices and all the rest there's obviously things like the wire and the shield but neither one of them was had that noir kicked out at all they were more straight down the line police investigation sort of things and this show has that element which makes it stand out um into its own little bubble and yeah, I don't know of any other ones. Um, and there seems to be seems to be plenty of people out there telling me that you know there's shows that do the police thing just as good and all that. Show me them. Show me, put your money yeah. where your mouth is before you condemn this show. And, and I'm not you. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. And I, I I stress that yeah, I come in with my score. Bo comes in with his score because we have watched the episodes. We've had possibly a better chance than quite a lot of people to actually sit down and discuss aspects and through discussing certain aspects i found that i have disliked some scenes or i've liked scenes more just from discussing it with you and i think sometimes a show which is as densely packed with information as true detective you kind of need that you kind of need that that um person that you can sit down and speak to and kind of hash out ideas um yeah and i think kind of come in on a theory and i know both our theories weren't necessarily right apart from Stupid comfy shad. Uh, <laughs> cunt chops, sorry. Cunt, cunt chops. chops, yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, butter chunks. Take your take your pick. Hate them so much, Bo, yeah. honestly. I know you do. I know you do. It's all I, over I, now. I, I'm kinda hoping that in the in the, the Blu-ray, the extended cut pans over a swimming pool and he's face down in it. Yeah. He he goes face down like Chasani, only this time yeah. it's the mother coming out like Chad, it's time to talk to you about paternity. Yeah. Chad, Chad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's been dragged to the bottom of the pool because he had Valcoro's fucking father's badge in his pocket, and it was heavy, and it weighed him to the bottom. That's right. that's that's fucking street justice right there. That is street justice. He uh, is he is easily the most loathed child, in my opinion, on screen, next to fucking what's his face from from fucking Game of Thrones. Oh, Joffrey. No, Ollie. Ollie. Jon Snow's. <clears throat> oh right uh, yeah ollie fuck you ollie yeah yeah fuck you ollie we'll uh, we'll talk about that later um yes. <laughs> uh yeah so um i don't know that i've got a ton more to say other than to say it uh it was 
at times frustrating and disappointing and at other times kind of kind of wonderful and uh it has been uh, a you know a pleasure to discuss it with you sir i hope the listeners um you know it, like you said it, it's nice to talk about this show with a, a friend if you don't have a friend that is watching it with the uh, dedication and pace that you are you know we're we're pleased that you know, some of you have listened to this and and perhaps had a discussion with the uh, the podcast and told us how we're wrong. Um, <laughs> at a certain point, that becomes crazy, so you want to measure that. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, I I think for the most part, it's it's nice to hear other people's thoughts on a, on something like this. Like you said, because the show is so densely packed, because it helps you crystallize your own thoughts, whether you agree or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I am uh man, I'm spent. Yeah, this has been it's been a, the the longest by far. Not quite the the 8 hour extravaganza we proclaimed was going to happen and and our first our first uh, episode review. Um but yeah, once again just like Bo was saying thanks very much for everyone checking out these Legion quickies. I think we have now definitely surpassed yeah, this is no longer zone. a quickie. Yeah, this is no longer a quickie. Um, and yeah, this I is think, just getting down. This, oh baby, um, I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, what what I think what we've said we we both really enjoyed this. It's a, a, a kind of facet of podcasting that neither one of us really gets to do in terms of doing TV stuff. That we will be back to do it. Um, We'll definitely be back for True Detective season three. If I mean HBO have said the HBO executive has said he's he is more than happy to give us a True Detective season three. It's just if Nick Pisolato wants to return, and I kind of hope he does. I really want to see. Yeah, me too. I've got I've got an itch that needs scratch that only True Detective can scratch, and um, I really want that. I want that itch scratched. Um, and there's there's I mean there are other shows um out there which we both really enjoy that I, maybe maybe down the line we come back and we we do some more of these. Um, like I said at the start of the show, um, we do a show together, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, which can be listened to on Legion Podcast Network. Um, each week we pick a film for each other from a, a selected genre, um, and we do battle over that to see who had the better suggestion. And uh, the latest episode has dropped, so you should go and check that out. It's about war movies, and it's a it's a good one. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I know Bo like hates me forgetting but i have a show called podcast under the stairs it's also in legion you can check it out, out with legion but check it out legion you're listening to this on legion so you're subscribed to the feed one would assume and right if you're, you're subscribed to the feed my show is there, there. yeah just click the button click the button to hear more of me um yay or no depends but bo might have been your favorite on this show if that's the case sorry to believe uh, Uh, but yeah thank you again for for checking out this uh, and um, we look forward to speaking to you in an upcoming Duncan and Bo come correct and somewhere down the line where we'll be discussing more TV Um, and until then just remember everyone out there uh, we get the world we deserve so be be nice to yourself and to others and uh, Bo do you want to say goodbye to listeners no I I would hate to step on that wonderful sentiment with a, a dumb joke uh, so, uh, thank you, thank you for listening. Yes, Duncan is right. Treat each other well, and uh, I can't, I can't wait to join all of us together again for another chat about uh, either True Detective or, you know, maybe Twin Peaks. No, maybe. Oh, they're starting a film in September. 
That's all I'm saying. Next month they start filming it. It's no matter what this looks like, it's David Lynch doing Twin Peaks with the original cast. Even if it's terrible, it's going to be a fascinating kind of terrible. Yeah. Oh, I, can't, I can't wait. It's more Lynch. I've not had Lynch since Inland Empire, and to be honest with you, I could have done without that. Um, so, <laughs> just putting it there. Fair enough, Rab- fair enough. Yeah, Rabbit yeah. sitcoms? No way. Uh, yeah, so, um, with all that in mind, <laughs> Rabbit sitcoms aside, um, we will speak to you all very soon. Uh, please take care of yourselves, and uh, bye, everyone. Bye. This has been a Legion podcast. Ooh, quickie.